0: Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. And we're back. In this episode, I'm uh, doing a monologue. I've been thinking about what I'm doing here. It's a pretty recursive thing to do and the conclusion that i've come to is that while all this is very interesting it's kind of missing the point because the main point is life so i'm going to summarize what i say in this in this piece because i was working through the whole thing when i was recording it and Uh, There's something good about that, but I think it also maybe wasn't stated as clearly as it could have been stated. So, if the point is life and living things and attending to living things, you know, we're, we're all living things, those of us who are listening to this. So I guess you could say that on some level I'm attending to living things by doing this. But there's an immediacy to the living things that I'm surrounded by. And really, as far as I know, I mean, okay, I do know that there are some living things listening to this. But it could be that, you know, the majority of the whatever. We've got maybe uh, somewhere between 50 to 100 people in, in each room when this thing is broadcast. So I don't really know if they're people, actually. They you know, it could be bots, right? It could be various types of agents logging in and listening. How do I know? I really don't. So, if the main thing is to attend to life, then anything that isn't that is really like way down on the list. But this also gets to something else, which is this idea of we got to do something great. And I bring that into question. What do we mean great? What's so great about great? Is there something about great that isn't so great? I think quite often when we take a look at the greatness, it's really constructed in retrospect. And if you dive deep, A lot of the greatness has some pretty ugly stuff in the closet. So what exactly is greatness? And how do we walk the tightrope between the day-to-day and something that isn't just attending to the mundane necessities And that does aspire to some kind of grander vision. Can we integrate greatness with humility? There's an interesting Taoist phrase that kind of captures, I think, you know, as usual, the Taoist managed to say in one statement what it will take me hours to do in various podcasts. And it's something like this. They say to be competent and yet to appear incompetent is correct in principle. I've thought about that one a lot. You can't really be great in the way that we think of greatness in the West and appear incompetent. Although, you know, maybe some people are really breaking through on that front. Like, you know, Elon Musk, (laughs) I suppose, (laughs) has a tendency to have some just remarkably bizarre moments. And yet he does manage to pull things off, sort of, it seems. I guess the jury is still out. So there is room for innovation in all of this. So what follows is a meditation on these themes that I had while sitting in my truck. I hope you find it interesting. If you'd like to support this program, I don't need to tell you what to do. But I will anyway. Go to the links in the show note description. Sign up on Patreon. Or just... Spam everyone you know with high praise. Or just warn people not to listen to it. That would probably help. Okay. Enjoy the program. So I'm sitting in a parking lot in front of a grocery store. And I'm thinking about two somewhat related issues. One of them has to do with excellence, and the other one has to do with where one sets one's priorities. Because it recently occurred to me that living things take priority. All of that takes precedence over things like this. So it's kind of towards the end of the day, and i got a few minutes to think about something. So, fair enough. I'll spend a few minutes talking about it. But what would happen if I prioritized this uh, effort here to do the podcast? What if I made that my main goal? Well, that's what I discovered when I was making an effort to be a musician. You know, I put everything I had into it. And as a consequence... Not only did my relationship suffer, but my health suffered too. Because I was placing emphasis on the wrong thing. Because living things take precedence. Life is about living. Life is not about performing. Life is not about creating. Life is not about achieving. Achieving in some sort of an abstract way. Greatness. Life is not about greatness. Life is about living. And in order to live, you have to be part of the web of life. You have to be involved, not just with yourself, but with all the living things around you, of which there are many. So, lately I've been hearing a lot of commentary by very intelligent people Who are looking at how fucked up the world is. And there's this kind of basic assumption that the world isn't doing so well because people just aren't really shooting high enough. They're not ambitious, they're lazy, they're not interesting, they're doing dumb things. And okay, that's probably true to some extent, but hold on a second here. Let's flip that over a few times before we pick it up and take it home. I mean, after all, it's the leaders in various fields that kind of define the field, that define the world that we're in, right? So what is a field? Well, it's the place where all of the action takes place. Right? That's what it is in the realm of sports, and that's what it is within the realm of physics. And it's the space that we're operating within. So if your field is, fill in the blank, biochemistry, physics, art, entertainment, music, construction, mechanics, distribution, retail advertising, whatever, whatever your field is, it's kind of defined by the winners, the ones who excelled, the ones who had great ambition. And so there have been some incredibly ambitious people who've done some rather remarkable things. You can remark on what they've done until you're blue in the face, and many people have. People write books about these remarkable people. But has anyone stopped to think about whether or not remarkable people are actually good for the field? Because something remarkable kind of skews the field, doesn't it? It kind of suggests something which is possible and yet improbable, if not impossible. Because an event that stands outside of the norm is something which by definition is going to be extremely unusual. And, of course, whenever a field is defined, the first ones to enter it are the ones who have... Well, it's really not the first ones. It's actually the second ones to enter a field. Maybe even third. You could say the first one is actually the genius that recognizes that there's a field there. But they usually don't know exactly what to do with it. And then the second one, I think there's a Taoist phrase that says, those who go first are the targets of the arrows of those who go second. So the second ones are the ones who kind of really figure out what to do within the field. The third ones are the ones that fine-tune that and exploit it to its fullest potential. That's why they say like three generations of anything is basically when it's over, because everything after that is like copycat and half the juice has been squeezed out of the thing by that time. So the potential to rise to that level is done by the time the thing shows up. So by the time you have the example of Warren Buffett as the best investor ever, whether or not that's true, it doesn't matter, right? That's sort of what's implied by the guy, right? And so everyone now is playing in a field that's really been squeezed To the point where there's no chance that anyone's ever going to be Warren Buffett again, right? And this is the case with everything. All fields. Like, who's going to get to be the Beatles next? Right? (sighs) Albert Einstein. Like, which one of the modern physics is going to be the next Einstein? Forget it. It's done. So, What does it mean to have a thing about achievement, about excellence, about going so much further? And, you know, half the time when you kind of look back on it after the the adulation and the party's over, in essence, and people get a little bit more reflective as they're licking their wounds, they take a little reassessment of some of these Pivotal characters And sometimes they don't make out so well When the final count comes in And everyone's Gotten to see the dirty laundry So, you know The the judgment is out, really Until What? The fat lady sings? Is that how it goes? We don't really know Whether these great people were so great I mean, what really made them so great? Giving us something to shoot for That no one could ever again Actually achieve And whether or not they achieved it themselves Is a big question You know, a number of critics when it comes to someone like Warren Buffett Are like, well, the dude's just been handed money Didn't Berkshire Hathaway just get bailed out? How many times does that happen one way or another? And if you're an insider There's a reason why insider trading is illegal It's because it happens all the time I mean, it's obviously immoral But how many people if you know people in powerful positions, are going to turn down an opportunity to make a shitload of money taking a risk that someone might find out that they found out something from someone else. A lot of people are just going to hope that no one ever finds out. You know, that's what it means to be one of the big-time players. And that's true in just about every field, right? Okay, there's probably some exceptions. But in general... People take the path of least resistance towards the path of greatest payback, greatest benefit. That's generally how it's done. Now, is that because of some kind of law of nature? Is that basically, I mean, there is a degree to which, you know, life is like water. It settles to the lowest point, which is basically like a pool, which is like, okay, well, if I can get what I need easily, that's the way I'll do it. Why should I bust my ass if I can do it in a way where it's a lot less problematic? Because it has to do with where we're setting our priorities, you know? A lot of people feel like, in order to make this world better, I've got to figure out how to excel. I've got to be better at whatever it is that I'm doing. I've got to be the best at what I'm doing, you know? And that's kind of like, it's kind of a, like, let's take a look at Joe Rogan, right? It's kind of a basic assumption. ...of Joe Rogan, you know, he's always talking about... ...you know, that dude was the best, the best comic, right? The best fighter, the best Elon Musk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, and so it's like the cult of ce- celebrity in a way... ...but it's a, it's kind of a celebrity that goes maybe one step further... ...and says this is someone who managed to achieve something really remarkable. Now, maybe or maybe not, that's the case, you know? In the case of a comic... I'm just not sure exactly how remarkable even the best comic could be unless you take remarkable at face value like I was doing before and just say, well, you can remark upon it. And indeed, there are many remarks that can be made about comics. I do it all the time. I actually love comedy. But I think it is not a really great and noble thing. Like, are there real heights to be, you know, is it is it is it really contributing to society and to humanity and to the world in general to have a few good laughs? You know, really when it comes down to it, just hanging out and having a few laughs is about as good, if not better, than watching the greatest comic ever. Because you can be blown away by the greatest comic ever and have some real laughs, but it doesn't leave you with like the social benefit of having had some good laughs with friends you know because then you can pal around and remember that and it's something that is part of your life whereas Lenny Bruce, George Carlin Ricky Gervais, whoever it is who turns your crank Bill Hicks you know they're all great I love all of them in their own way I mean they all have their downsides too in a big way so they may have reached some heights, but there are some low points. I remember we went and saw George Carlin maybe a few years before he passed away at a casino. And, and it was depressing. It was horrible. It was an old, bitter man spewing venom to everything, including the audience. And it was ugly. And he was one of the greats. So how many examples can you think of in, in any given field where the question mark arises? Like, okay, greatness, has it really done us any good? I mean, you could make the case that the skewing of the field is what distorts the reality and leads to the perversion of the whole field and that like those like let's take investment for example Buffett and all of those guys who managed to squeeze billions of dollars out of our economy that could be circulating in other people's hands and actually doing some good and now we have this incredible disparity where people are suffering unbelievably badly And the monetary system itself is all screwed up. You know, they they figured out how to play uh, the currency markets off of each other and caused all kinds of currency gyrations, causing nations to skid into uncontrollable economic crisis. And these very clever, very smart What do we call them? Speculators, I think, is maybe better than... They're not investors. You know, Buffett represents the old school investing. Right? He's a little bit like Trump in a way. He sort of represents something that isn't quite happening anymore. Maybe when he started, it was still going on. You know, in the same way that, like, real estate was, like, a real thing back then. Trump just kind of became, like, the marketer of real estate. And in a certain sense, Buffett is the same thing with a slightly smaller profile, a little more specialized, you know? But within within the investment community, he's a superstar, just like Trump was within whatever the heck his thing is, (laughs) you know? Really, entertainment. Trump was primarily, I think, an entertainer. He played a billionaire. Now he's playing a president. So we've talked about a few different fields now. now. Politics, obviously... It seems that those who have the greatest impact within that world, who are most known, are amongst the most loathsome people ever who have done incredible damage and really skewed... I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't want to divide my field. (laughs) My sense is that they're all basically like that. So, you know, if you have... If you want to take exception with that, send me a note, write a comment, what have you. I'm happy to take it up with someone. But uh, my overall sense is that this is a general pattern. And that those who would say that the world is messed up because people aren't shooting for the heights have got it backwards. Which is not to say that you should shoot for the depths, but there is something about this middle path, recall? And what is the middle path? Well, let's take the trigrams and the bagua, which, you know, those of you who have been listening to this program for a while, you know I talk about it a fair amount. I've got a bunch of videos up about it on my Taiji Reality YouTube channel, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, spend a little time there and figure it out, because it's... It takes a little bit of doing in order to get familiar with the language, but it's actually fundamentally very simple. There are only three letters, there are only eight words, and there are only two sentences in this language. So it's easy to understand. And the two sentences, one of them has to do with what happens when the mind takes the material world as being the primary concern, and the other one has to do with what happens when the mind takes the spiritual world as being the primary concern. Now, you could say that those are two extremes. And that there's peril either way. And that the middle path is to tread with one foot in one and the other in the other. Not to take the material world as being the primary zone, of the primary field within which everything is of the greatest importance. And likewise, not to take the spiritual world as being the primary field. There's a beautiful, apparently Rosicrucian way of looking at this. They say that those who take the material world as being the primary field are Satanists because they will do anything to maintain their physical existence. And those who take the spiritual world as being the primary field, or the soul field is really the way of looking at it when it comes to this. Like the only real, for the is the only real world is the material world. And for the Luciferian, the only real world is the spiritual world. They say, you know, Lucifer has to do with light, right? But what it it really means is that there are people who don't care about the material. Which means they don't care about other beings. They think they're living for some kind of a spiritual thing. Which, if you think about it just for a few minutes, no one knows what really that is. You can make up all kinds of stories about what the spiritual domain really is. You know, and we all do. Even if we're saying that it doesn't exist. That's just a story too. Because no one really knows. You know, where when you think about the spiritual domain seriously, you realize how ignorant you are. And that's reality. The reality is that we're ignorant. But those who want to know, who find some story that they say is the truth, and then take it even further and say that the material world is of no significance. And so the suffering of others is not something... And when I say others, I'm not just talking about human beings. I'm talking about the suffering of all living things, of the consciousness in this world, is of no consequence to these people. And there are a lot of people like that, particularly in high positions of power. And the Rosicrucians say that the resolution to this is what they call the Christic. The Christic is on the cross... The middle path, the crossroads, the road of the material and the road of the spiritual, the one who has his feet in both, their feet in both, her feet in both. It's not a comfortable place to be, but none of these places are comfortable. It's an uncomfortable existence. But there is something to be said to this kind of middle path. The idea of attending to both material and spiritual concerns. To keeping the field healthy. For the diversity of life that's necessary in order for a field to maintain its health. That's what I would say to the exceptionalists out there. All these clever people who think that we're not clever enough and that's our problem. Hmm, really. I wonder if they've really thought about it. for listening we look forward to serving you again soon in the meantime remember turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home